0: Turning points. Turning points. Turning points. Those times when something happens that turns everything around. In World War II for the Pacific Ocean, it was the Battle of Midway. It was in the European theater. It was D-Day. In a football game, it's that interception just at the right time that breaks the heart of the opposing team. For Helen Keller, it was that moment she understood that the signs that her teacher was forming in her hands meant something. For those of you who teach, it's when a student realizes that 2 plus 2 equals 4, and math now makes sense. This week... I went to a funeral. Went to the funeral of Kathy Clem's dad. Pastor Jay. A few years back, Pastor Jay received a phone call. Pastor Jay, you need to come and come down to the prison. There's a man going to death row. That man needs to see you before he's sent. So Jay walks in. Now, if you ever met Jay, Jay came here several times and I always loved it because I knew I had someone in my corner when I preached because, man, he'd be back there and his face would be beaming and you knew he was praying for you and you knew he was on your side if you opened up God's Word. I just loved it when Pastor Jay was here. Jay wasn't a big guy. Jay was one of these little guys. He was little on the outside. He was big on the inside. You know what I mean? And so Jay walks into the jail, and there's this guy. He comes walking up in his orange jumpsuit, and he has chains on his hands, chains on his feet, chains around his waist, and he comes shuffling up. Jay looks at this man. What are you going to say to a man who's about to be put on death row? Jay looks at him and says this You know, there's a man in the Bible. A man in the Bible, his name was Saul. Now it's Paul. You see, he did awful things too. He killed people, he did many bad things. But you know what? Jesus Christ met him. Jesus Christ forgave his sins. And Jesus Christ used him to change the world. And Jesus Christ can do the same for you. That prisoner shook his head. Pastor, I, I, no one's ever told me that story before. Now, I may not be telling the story 100% accurately, but that's the way I heard. It. So, Pastor, I, am I close enough, Kathy? Kathy? Okay. because I I, I, I I never I never heard that story before. I gotta think about this. Will you come back tomorrow and see me again? What people didn't know was just a few feet away in another cell is sitting another man. And that man, he knows his prisoner. He knows how bad he is. And he's going, God, if, if you can save him, you save me. And I'll give you my life. And I'll serve you for as long as I live. Now, I'll tell you the rest of the story at the end of the sermon, so you got to Listen. Turning points. There were turning points in Jesus' ministry, not for him, for, for because the moment he stepped foot on this planet, the mo- moment he came onto this earth, his path and destiny were sure. It was always going to lead to the cross. There was always going to be a death, a burial, a resurrection for him. But along the way, there would be signals. That the time was right to begin the journey that would lead him into his final week, a week that would begin with Palm Sunday. And today we're going to see such a turning point. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark, Mark chapter 8. Mark is the second book in the New Testament. Mark chapter 8. It goes Matthew, Mark, Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, He asked His disciples. So He's walking with His men. And He asked His disciples. He said this, Who do people say that I am? And they told Him. John the Baptist. And others say Elijah. And others say one of the prophets. And He asked them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now we're in the book of Mark. Mark's a very interesting book. First of all, it's the book of action. Mark is the buddy of Peter. So some have kind of jokingly called this the diary of Peter you know it you know it's really kind of hard on peter throughout the book of mark you know it kind of shows him warts and all it doesn't doesn't play nice and in this book of mark it shows jesus christ as the lord he depicts Jesus as the servant of all, the one sent by God to serve His people, to submit Himself to His heavenly Father's will, to even die if that's the Father's will. In this book, you find Him as the King, but a King who serves. A King who suffers. He also says He is the Son of God. And it records that God Himself says that he is the Son of God. That the Lord Himself says He's the Son of God. Even the demons call Him the Son of God. And the Roman centurion, after crucifying him, will cry out, surely this is the Son of God. Now, this is the shortest of the Gospels. But 40% of this book, 40% of this book is going to be all about the Lord's final journey to Jerusalem and the events that lead up to His death. So where's the context of this? Well, Jesus has just finished with feeding the 4,000, which is, you know, there's, there's two feedings that Jesus does. One is for the 5,000, the other is for the 4,000, which is really closer to 12,000 because it's just 4,000 of the men that they count. They don't count the women and the children. So it's probably twelve to 14,000 people he feeds. And then he deals with some unbelieving Pharisees. He heals a blind man. And then he has to deal with the thick-headedness of his own disciples. So he's had a busy time. Now he has them alone. He's walking with them. And he asks them this profound question, Who do people say that I am? Now some think he's John the Baptist. They think he's John the Baptist risen from the dead. John's lost his head. John's dead. Oh, well, well, you know, he kind of preaches like John, and he kind of looks like John, and he is a cousin of John, so he must be John. No, no, John he's not John. Well, maybe he's Elijah, because Elijah was supposed to come back before the Messiah came back. And he does miracles, and he kind of sounds like Elijah. So maybe he's the forerunner of the the Messiah. Maybe he's the one who's supposed to come back before the Messiah. No, no, it's not that. Uh, In fact, he said that John the Baptist was the one who fulfilled that. Well, maybe He's just like a prophet of old. He performs miracles and He says these cool things. Maybe maybe He's a prophet of old. But you notice they stop short. You notice what they stop short of. They don't recognize who He is. He's close. But as the old saying was, close but no cigar he's not it and then he asks this haunting question who do you say I am who do you say I am and old Peter don't you love him the guy with the size 12 mouth I just love him he's so cool you are the Christ. You know, And I, I really think he said it like that. I don't think it was like, you're the Christ. I think it was, you're the Christ. And I think his chest went out. I think he looked. Oh. And all the other guys, yep, 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 What he said, yep, yep, yep. Now, we need to understand what Peter was saying. Often we think when we hear Jesus Christ that Christ is Jesus' last name. It's not. I am, my official title is Reverend Gregory Brawley. All right? Reverend is my title. I always have to say it that way. I can never just say reverend. It's reverend, you know, reverend. And uh, when I was uh, working down in the cities um, with a group of folks, they they all wanted to call me Rev, you know. Hey, Rev, hey, Rev, you know. But I I, I don't like my titles. I don't don't like titles. So, you know, I, I, I don't use it unless I have to. You know, unless it's required, you know. When you're signing something official, like if I'm signing a person's you know, marriage certificate, it's reverend. But other than that, I, I, I don't use it. But the Christ. Jesus needed to use that one. Because it meant the Messiah. The anointed one. The one who is coming. You see, see, Peter made the leap. Peter said, you're it. You're the one. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're it, Jesus. And the way he said it meant he got it. Now you see, there, the way he's saying it is, you were, you are, and you will be. Now, you need to get this, folks, because this is important. You always were the Messiah, you are are the Messiah, and you always will be the Messiah. That's important. There are those who believe that when Jesus came to earth, he laid aside his divinity. He just, I'm going to come to earth, I'm not going to be God anymore. And then he came to earth, it's called adoptionism, he comes to earth just as a man. And then when he's baptized the Holy Spirit makes him God again and then when he's dying on the cross the Holy Spirit pulls the Godness out of him again and then he dies okay and then you know then when he res- resurrected he they give him back his Godhood and uh, that was a that was a heresy the church fought way way back when. well unfortunately we Christians are really good. We bring heresies back. It's just something we do, you know. And uh, there are certain teachers out there today who have brought it back. And, and you may hear of it. It's, it's some, some television t- preachers do it and, and whatnot. And if you hear someone teach that, yeah, Jesus wasn't the Messiah. He became the Messiah. And then, then they took it away. Friends, just know, run. Run far. Run fast. Run away from their teaching because it's wrong. All right? Jesus is always the messiah he's always the hope because without him we have no hope he's always god's plan a he's always we got to hang on to that so now here's what happens jesus looks at him and he's saying you're right peter you got it so don't tell anybody shh, quiet, what, don't tell anybody, what are you talking about, don't tell anybody, shh, why, because the timing isn't right, the timing isn't right and you're not ready say how do you know pastor well first of all there's going to be several times that people are going to try to kill jesus and he miraculously gets away i mean they're they're picking up stones they're going to throw them off a cliff they're going to do all these things to him and he just walks through them. he gets away so the timing isn't right and they're not ready I want to let you know something. God won't use you until you're ready. But I don't feel ready. Notice what I said. He won't use you until you're ready. Not that you feel ready. Delaney, when you were out on the mission field, did you feel ready? No. No. God doesn't use you until you're ready. But notice what he says. He goes, I'm going to teach you. And notice how he teaches. He says, I'm going to teach you plainly. He teaches them plainly. No parables, no riddles. It's kind of like, okay, boys, I'm rolling up my sleeves. Let's talk about the whole plan. Let's get down to business. I'm not going to play any games with you. I'm not going to make this hidden. We're going to get down to business. Here's what's going to happen. I am going to suffer at the hands of religious leaders. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. And the question is, why? Why would he teach that? Number one, to teach the sovereignty of God. To teach the sovereignty of God. You need to get this. Jesus was never a victim of society. He wasn't a victim of the times. Jesus was not a victim of the Leaders of the day. Jesus had a plan that he and the Heavenly Father had put into practice. They were going on, and it was going to happen. He was not put on the cross by accident. And that was God's sovereign plan. You need to understand that. He was not put on there by the Romans. He was not put on there by the Jews. He was not put along by the political interests. Jesus was in control of His fate. He came onto this earth to carry out the plan of heaven. And that is called the sovereignty of God. And there will be times that the disciples remember this. There will be times that they will go, Oh my goodness. Remember what He told us? It happened. That's the sovereignty of God. Secondly, as what was read today by Braxton in Hebrews chapter 9, it shows that Jesus was a willing sacrifice. There are those today who are trying to throw out the sacrifice of Jesus. They're trying to say that would be a horrible thing for the Father to do to His Son. There's no way, but Jesus knew the plan. He carried it out brilliantly. He knew that this plan was the only hope for us. And He participated in it. He was a willing sacrifice. This teaches us the doctrine of the Trinity. But there's several things that it also reveals. It reveals to us that Jesus is sinless. Jesus never sinned while on this earth. Why? Because as the God-man, He is perfect. And he is the only one who could be a substitute for us. Did you catch that? Substitute. To take the place of. That is the only way that God could become. Or God could be a just God. Just is a word that we don't like. It's an attribute of God. There's other attributes we like. We like the attribute of God is love, don't we? And mercy. And grace. But just... That's an attribute we're not so fond of. Well, we are, but we aren't. It's it's an attribute we love to hate. We love it and we hate it. I mean, I love the justice of God when it's used on you. I just want the mercy of God when it has to do with me. You know what I mean? If I mess up, I want mercy. But you do something to me, I want justice. And because of that whole concept, is God a just God, there are those in our world who say, I can't believe in God. Because there's no way God can be a just God. God. A missionary I know, he was, he was dealing with a gentleman from Indonesia who was sitting down talking with him and he said, oh, I, I, I'm struggling with this whole concept of God as a just God. Because I can't believe that God is a just God, I can't believe in a God. And so the missionary, and if you want to do this on the back of your handout, you can follow along. I kind of made it like, a, like what you could do draw on the back of your little insert. So the missionary drew out, he wrote down world on one side, and he said, so, well, tell me why you can't believe God is a just God. And he said, well, because there's, wor- there's war in the world, there's crime in the world, there's abuse in the world, there's hate in the world. And he put a few other things. And he said on the other side, he put God. He said, if God was a just God, there wouldn't be these things. I said, okay. Okay, I hear what you're saying. So you're telling me that because of these things, we have to remove God? I said, yeah. I said, okay. So who do we blame then? If God's gone and these things remain, who do we blame? The guy goes, I hadn't thought of that. He goes, I guess we got to blame people. He says, well, why don't you blame an animal? I mean, why don't you blame the tiger for eating the, for eating the lamb or, or, you know, a snake for eating a mouse? Well, they're just doing what nature does. So you're not blaming a tornado for being a tornado or a hurricane for being a hurricane. No, that's just nature being nature. Because if God isn't there, it's just nature being nature. Okay. So, all these things still exist. And you're saying that they're really the fault of people. Yeah. He says, then why were you blaming God for them? Maybe they weren't God's fault in the first place. Maybe they were the fault... Of a fallen mankind. And maybe we need to put God back in the picture because God is the only hope to deal with all those things. (laughs) Because you're right. You see, for God to be a just God, He has to deal with all those things. But how does he do it? That's where the doctrine of the cross comes in. You see, and it's another word we don't like, it's called wrath. The doctrine called wrath. Now normally when we think of wrath, we think of people driving. You got a blinker, don't ya? Ah. Oh, that was Tom Coons. Hi, Tom. <laughs> you know. We think of those people who are behind the wheel and out of control. Not that Tom was out of no, I, I was honking at Tom, that was what I was saying. You know, out of control, explosive. Ah! Wrath! When we deal with God, remember, His wrath is perfect. His wrath is this. If you need to get a definition, it's God's perfect hatred of sin and His perfect justice against it. His perfect hatred Hatred of sin and perfect justice against it. Why does he hate it? Because he knows what sin does. Sin, by its nature, destroys. And when God pours out his wrath to deal with it, it's always in a perfect measurement. He never overdoes it. He pours out the perfect amount of wrath against the equal amount of sin. The problem is, his wrath we can't endure. So a substitute was needed. That substitute is Jesus Christ. The perfect sacrifice. Jesus Christ steps in our way, pushes us to the side, and becomes the, this is another big word, propitiation. He absorbs and satisfies every drop of God's wrath for every drop of sin. Perfectly. So when Jay went back into the prison the next day, the prisoner shuffled up to him. And he looked at Jay, Pastor Jay, and he said, Pastor Jay, I thought about what you said. And I believe it. And I accept it. And I am going to go to death row. But someday you're going to see me in heaven. Why? Because the prisoner was good? No! But because when he gave his life to Jesus Christ Jesus absorbed all his sin its a penalty and set him free wow now we've seen a lot of horrible evil in this world School shootings and things like that. On the cross, Jesus absorbed all that evil. Where was God? He was on the cross. Jesus absorbed that evil. I said there was more to the story. The gentleman in the cell saw that happen. He gave his life to Christ. Today, he's a pastor. He stood up at the funeral said, for 30 years, I've been, I've been serving Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus gave Himself for him. You said, really? look at some of the verses i gave you here's why jesus came he was pierced for our transgression he was crushed for our iniquities upon him with the chastis brought us peace and with his wounds we were healed next verse all we like sheep have gone astray we've turned everyone to his own way and the lord laid on him the iniquity of us all next verse Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sins of many, making transgression for the transgressors. He was delivered up for our trespasses. But God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for our sins. Christ suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Christ redeemed us by becoming the curse, redeem us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Wow. This is what Jesus was trying to get across to his men. An old Peter. Um, Jesus, that's not what we were wanting. We want you to be our messiah who frees us from the romans. We want you to set up your throne and then put 12 little thrones under you so I can rule. Under you I got I got it you're the king. But I want my little kingdom. <laughs> Friends, Jesus never came to help you set up your kingdom. Jesus came to set you free, not give you a kingdom. We only need one king, and his name's Jesus. So Jesus, you know, not wanting to hurt Peter's feelings, said, Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. What? And then he turns around and he spells out what it means to be a disciple. And calling the crowd to him, he said, If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. To be a follower of Jesus Christ is to be in sync with his will. To pick up your cross and say, Jesus, you did all that for me. I've got my cross. I'm following you. Your will. Your way. Your kingdom. Because you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. So I leave you a question today. Who do you say he is? Who do you say Jesus?